0: And there's a song in my soul, and I feel it stirring in me. This I know for sure: that Your love is like a flood, and Your mercy never ending. I give my song to You. There's a joy in my soul, and it rises. This is like a
1: All of you.
0: ahead and have
2: a seat. Hello, church family. I'm so thankful that you are joining us this morning or afternoon or evening or whatever time it is. We are grateful to get to have this medium by which we get to gather together and um, join together as a body of believers. We're thankful that you're here and that you're joining us at Sunnybrook. This morning, we are going to continue in our sermon series learning about um, Jesus and his life on earth. We're going to specifically be turning to Matthew chapter 8, looking at verses 23 through 27. So I will start there in verse 23. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to die. He said to them, Why are you afraid? You have little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him.
3: Thanks be to God. Good morning, Sunnybrook. And I hope that uh, this day finds you yet one more day. Uh, looking forward to having the word about Jesus Christ, the words of Jesus Christ, broken open for us. Uh, we continue to move along in this series, and this series is dedicated to who Jesus is, and particularly the events that were surrounding his life. We'll, we'll come back after, after Easter, and we'll spend some more time looking at the specific teachings of Jesus. Um, but what we're going to be doing today is we're going to be looking at the great story, the, the great story that you uh, just heard Melissa read uh, regarding the wind and the waves and uh, the shock of the disciples. And so we get to ask this question, which we're going to ask it a lot sooner than Jesus is going to ask Peter in Matthew chapter 16, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Or who do people say that I am? I guess what we want to begin with this morning is this very important question. Who is Jesus? Now, since he's a person, we wouldn't ask, what is Jesus? And so we say, who is Jesus? Makes sense. And then we begin to look at some of the key characteristics of his life. Who is Jesus? And and we look and we see Jesus caring for people, uh, caring for those that are sick and caring for those um, that are in desperate, desperate need. And we stop and we say, Jesus is a caregiver. Jesus is someone who cares for the needs of those people. And then you and I, there's no other way to do it, then you and I kind of go in our mind and we kind of find other people that we know who are really good caregivers. Do you have in your mind someone who is really good at caring for the needs of others? I do. And I think of Jesus and I think of Jesus alongside this person. And when I look at them, I'm willing to admit Jesus is more caring and Jesus is more effective in his caring than the, the person that I'm thinking. So my friend who is this wonderful caring person does what they can do and then Jesus Christ comes along and he does that only more. Who is Jesus? He is a teacher and he is a teacher. And so you and I go in our minds Jesus is a teacher. Um, so, what kind of? A, I, I think of a teacher now. I think of a. I'm going to compare him, and, and I remember some teachers. I have had some very significant teachers in my life, and I think about all the ways in which they've instructed me, and all the ways in which they have encouraged me, and all the ways in which they have challenged me. And then I take Jesus, and I bring Jesus alongside. Uh, Mr. Gig um, was my first male teacher, seventh grade. And uh, I, I remember looking at him and believing, maybe I want to do this. I remember thinking that because there just, just something about him that really kind of caught my attention. I go back and I think of Mr. Pulaski, my math teacher in the 10th and the 11th grade. There were certain teachers um, in, in, in college and in seminary, uh, Mark Scott and Dr. Lowry, these people who helped me understand uh, the truths about God, and they were so effective in their teaching who is Jesus? He's a teacher. He's like Mark Scott, only more. He's like, he's like Mr. Gig, only more. And that's who Jesus is. And, and what's interesting is, is that you can find a lot of the characteristics about Jesus, and you can find um, like an earthly comparison. Someone who cares a lot, someone who's a good listener, someone who's a good speaker, someone who is there when you need them. And, and Jesus is all of those things, and then he's not just all of those things and then more of those things, he's all of those things and then more things that like no one else is like. And so what we actually see in this encounter today is we actually see Jesus stepping in and doing something that no good caregiver could do and no good teacher could teach, Jesus actually um, wakes up from his sleep in this boat and demonstrates a power that I don't have a human category for. I don't have a category for this anymore. Jesus, all of a sudden, in an encounter like this, and you might say, well, what about the other ones? Well, I mean, truly, there's been others who've done pretty amazing things. There's been others who've, uh, prophets who've raised the dead, But even when you go back and you think about like maybe Moses parting the sea, no, Moses didn't part the sea. No, it was God who did that. Only God can do certain things, and Jesus steps into this text today, and he just raises the bar completely. Now, now one thing before I, I, I take a look at some very important verses that we need to consider that are actually not found in our text today is I want to go back and I want to set this up a little bit um, with the, the previous section that actually was, uh, was not read to us. But if you have your Bibles, look back at Matthew chapter 8. Jesus is going to um, give a challenge. He's going to say, listen, if you're going to want to follow me, it's going to be demanding. And there's going to be a cost. Because what I am going to ask of you and what I'm going to rightfully demand of you is something that no one else can actually rightfully ask or to demand. And so when Jesus sees the large crowd, verse 18, he gave them orders to go to the other side of the sea, and the scribe approached him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, Foxes have dens, and birds of the sky have nests. Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Lord, another of his disciples said, First let me go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. What kind of man asks this? What kind of person demands something like this? And Matthew gives an account immediately following. The one who can demand that you give him your everything, let the dead bury the dead, is nothing more than... When I say the Son of God, um, I I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus is the Son of God. I I hear a lot of people actually make this statement that when they think about uh, the different titles for Jesus, one of their favorite titles for him is Son of Man. And when I say why, they say, well, because it, 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 defi- it, it defines him uh, within his humanity, so he can relate to me, which, by the way, is a very important thing. And the Bible thinks that's really important, that Jesus, in fact, took on flesh and died in our place for our sins. He took on that which he wanted to redeem. So the Bible considers that to be a very important thing. But Jesus is not the Son of Man, and that just means he's human like us. No, the the categories for Jesus make the gospel writers um, define him or explain him in very interesting terms. You know, you have in Matthew's gospel, he starts out by describing the genealogy and he wants you to know that Jesus is a descendant of David. Mark wants you to know as you look at his gospel that he was the suffering servant who was willing to die. Luke describes Jesus, and again, he kind of begins with this amazing... Uh, Luke is going through and, and, and investigating all of these aspects, and he wants you to see this, this Jesus who genuinely cares for um, the, the global mission um, and, and reaching out far, far, far out into, into the Gentiles and to those areas where most people would believe that God would not go. And John, the last one who was writing takes a completely different way of looking at Jesus. And he starts like this, John chapter one, verse one. Who is Jesus? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word, that's Jesus, was God. He was with God in the beginning. So that takes me all the way back to Genesis. Jesus was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made, Without him, nothing was made that has been made. John wants you to know, not that his mother was a virgin. John doesn't want you to know that an angel came and proclaimed this to Mary. John doesn't want you to know that John the Baptist is the one who's going to come and to prepare the way like Mark begins with. No, John gets right to the point. I want you to know that Jesus of Nazareth is nothing less than God in flesh, And John underlines that. I mean, listen, all the gospel writers agree with that statement, but notice how John wastes no time to make sure that you understand that the one aspect of Jesus being God is not his eternal nature, although that it's in there. He really underlines the fact that everything was made by him and nothing that exists was, exists apart from the fact that he made it. So we see Jesus here as the one who created everything. Maybe that's why the Apostle Paul, when he is explaining who Jesus is to the Colossian church, and he's describing, I want you to know who Jesus is, in what is known as kind of one of the the great hymns, one of the great descriptions of the the nature and the person of Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. I, I would say 15 through 20 would be a good thing to have underlined, See, John just doesn't want you to be impressed by Jesus. John, or Peter, or Paul doesn't want you to be just impressed by Jesus. He is not what we know, but to the greatest extent. Jesus, like God, is truly in a completely different category. One other very important verse that I want to take a look at is actually found in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, the, the writer of the book of Hebrews also draws this attention when it's describing who Jesus Christ is. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed as the heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. God made the universe through Jesus. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Notice the overlap and the similarities between what John and Paul and the writer of the book of Hebrews want us to see. They don't want us to to appreciate the caring nature of Jesus or the insightful nature of Jesus. What they want is for us to fall down, to bow down, and and to worship him as God. The the beauty of stories like this is that they, they really don't appear to be very practical when, when you look at them, you could just look at that and go, wow, there's not even a lot of words of Jesus. I mean, there's only that one little bit in verse 26 that's found in red. Like, what are we supposed to do with this? Well, exactly what we're supposed to do with it is recognize how important it is that we see Jesus as the one who created all things. You, you might know that there was a, a, a famous uh, creed that was written known as the Apostles' Creed where it described God the Father and the creator of heaven and earth, and then it describes Jesus when they went back and they revisited that in, uh, a number of years later and they rewrote it as the Nicene Creed, they added this phrase to Jesus, by whom, this is about t- describing Jesus here, not the Father, by whom all things were made. The early church recognized, hey, we, we overlooked this idea that Jesus Christ was the one, in fact, that made everything, and we can't, we can't overlook that. It is important for our spiritual formation. It is important for our worship. It is important for our testimony to declare that Jesus Christ, in fact, is the one who made everything, creator of heaven and earth. And so what we're seeing in Matthew's gospel, we could be seeing it in Mark, we could be seeing it in Luke, is that Jesus demonstrates his authority over sickness and demons and sin and now creation, and, and so what we are going to look at are these very three, or three very interesting statements. Uh, a couple of them are actually more like, more like questions. But I want us to look at these and to see what we can learn. What happens when all of a sudden we find ourselves not just trying to uh, consider a certain aspect of Jesus, but literally to be in awe of him, to, to come into his presence, and to not really, um, uh, for, the, for the purpose of, of gaining anything, but ultimately just appreciating him ultimately for who he is. So we see in this account that they get in their boat and they go across the Sea of Galilee, and it was, it was common um, to see these storms that would rise up. And here you have in this particular instance, a storm rises up so quickly and so surprisingly that the disciples, who not all of them, but many of them would have been very, very good managing the sea, managing a boat on the sea, uh, but it definitely was too much for them. And I don't know if it was the fact that it was at night. I don't know if it the fact that it was just the waves were that, were, that, were that great. The shore was too far away. They only saw themselves perishing in this moment. And so the first statement that we actually have is by the disciples who go to Jesus and they wake him up and they scream at him, Lord, save us. Lord, save us. We are going to die. <laughs> now, you, you have to wonder, like, I don't know what it is um, that caused them, or I, I guess one of the biggest shocks that I have when I read this story is, how are they freaking out and Jesus is sleeping? Have you noticed that? Jesus is asleep in the boat. And, and it's so funny because we try to uh, find, the you know, he was, it was a long day. It was a very difficult day, and so Jesus clearly found himself so tired and at the end of his physical energy that he was just really, truly resting. Or, you know, as the son of God, he definitely just didn't, uh, didn't get roused up, didn't get uh, kind of like all freaked out by the circumstances that are going on around him. The text doesn't really give us an answer, but it does give us a picture of Jesus sleeping comfortably and the disciples being incredibly worried. And so they say to him, Lord, save us. And, and that's, by the way, an important word. Um, you've heard us teach on this quite a, quite a few times because that word is the word that can mean save us from our sins. This is the first time you'll see it in Matthew's Gospel, uh, that Jesus Christ will come and save his people from their sins. It's found in Matthew chapter 1. This is the next time, actually, in Matthew's Gospel that that word appears. So the word save, it, it can also be actually to describe the word heal. Um, So we see others that are in desperate need of Jesus' help or Jesus' work that is being done for them. And here we have these disciples who are absolutely sure that they are going to die, and so they cry out to Jesus, Lord, save us. Now that sets up the situation. I I think it's kind of interesting to see Jesus' response. Jesus responds not like he does to the centurion. If you have your Bibles, take a look at what he says in Matthew chapter eight. So, same chapter. In Matthew chapter eight, he is going to be healing um, the centurion, uh, the centurion servant. And when he's going to be healing his servant, um, he basically the servant says, "Hey, listen, like I'm, I'm a man who's in charge of things. You just say he's healed, and I believe that you can heal him." And Jesus responds to that in verse ten by saying, "Truly, I tell you." I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. So, Jesus makes it a pattern or a, a, a habit of speaking about people's faith. And so, he says to the centurion when he demonstrates a strong faith, Your faith is great. I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And truthfully, he's definitely seeing it, he's not seeing it in the disciples. So, the disciples have seen Jesus do a number of things. They have obviously responded to his call for them to follow him. And in the midst of following him, they get into a boat and the boat is going across and how they, I guess, see themselves, all of this ending, right? So Jesus Christ comes, Jesus Christ does all of these miracles. He then gets into the boat, not knowing the weather, he gets into the boat and they can see everything coming crashing down around them. And maybe that's why Jesus actually says to them, and this is his response, Oh you, uh, or not? Not oh you. You of little faith. Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? You of little faith. Jesus points out. Jesus underlines. Jesus wants them to see that their response is not an appropriate response when Jesus is near. And so you might think about this. You might wonder, like, why? Why is it? I mean. Isn't it a normal response in the midst of a storm? Isn't it a normal response when things are just circling and going crazy around us? Isn't it a normal human response to believe that we are going to die and to just ask Jesus to save us? There's a lot of um, commentaries and uh, commentators and preachers that go back and back and forth. We we live in a time where. Um, uh, those, those struggles that we have with faith, or those struggles that we have with trusting in Jesus, uh, we almost want to celebrate much of the, the doubt that exists, much of the difficulty that it can, can exist. Um, so we, we quickly find ourselves siding with the disciples in moments like this, that it was just natural, and it was just normal for them. Well, It seems like what Matthew wants to say is, sure, like if Mr. Gig was the one that was driving the boat, or if the most caring person that you knew was the one that was in charge of the boat, I get that you would feel like you were going to die. But Jesus isn't that category of person. Jesus comes into this and he, uh, and again, notice that we, we, we saw this when Jesus heals the paralytic He knows the hearts, and so when Jesus says, I've not seen faith like this, or Jesus now, and there is, I believe there is a a, a rebuke, maybe a soft rebuke, but a rebuke of the disciples where he literally says to them, why are you afraid, you of little faith? Like, why is it that you do not trust me? What is it that you're going to have to see for you to believe in me? And what Jesus is getting at here is that there is an expectation that he has For those who are following him to believe in who he is, and therefore in believing who he is, that would then shape our response in the most difficult of circumstances. Now here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that um, for those of us that find ourselves at the end of our rope, and for those of us that it's not as simple as this, like what you might be thinking of, it's not as simple as this, like... I'm not in a literal boat on the Sea of Galilee where there is a storm and Jesus is right there. And so my circumstances are different. My circumstances are I'm going through this life situation and this life circumstance and my life is unraveling around me. And this significant relationship now is in jeopardy and I believe it is going to be lost. I'm looking at the circumstances in our world right now and I just feel like with everyone at one another and everyone being on edge, I just feel like um, it is spinning out of control. And I just, I can't go wake up Jesus and say, hey, rescue us and can you fix this? And it's that removal that makes me anxious. It's that distance that makes me. And I, I, I hear you. I, I just think this story comes to us. The story is, is written down for our benefit to describe Jesus who is able to, in all circumstances, accomplish the purposes that he has. Well, I think one of the parts that I think is so helpful about this is when I began to realize, um, and I kind of wish I could hear the conversation that went on after this, I kind of wonder if Jesus would actually say to them, so let's see if I get this. You actually thought that I was going to call you and that we were going to begin this ministry, and then it was just going to end on the Sea of Galilee where all of us drown in a boat. Like, that's how you saw this ending? Like, did you not see that I could foresee this? And then not only that, and this is the part that they did not see, and can you not see that I am Lord over the storm, that I am Lord over creation? And the answer is they couldn't see that. I think they had categories of Jesus, and Jesus was just whatever, whatever, whatever kind of description, a prophet only more, a teacher only more, a revolutionary only more, a, a caring nurturer only more, and Jesus wants them to realize, um, I, I believe even knowing that these events were are going to happen, that I'm going to take you places, and I'm going to bring you through places, I'm going to bring you through circumstances, Um, But nothing happens without me being aware of it. And the circumstances, even the physical created order circumstances, are subject to me. And and I I believe that's something that we all needed to hear today. Um, I I don't know about you. Most people find the greatest comfort when Jesus Christ raises Lazarus from the dead. And I know why. Why? Or a really strong comfort when Jesus Christ heals a woman who uh, doctors could not heal and then Jesus brings healing to her body. And that just that compassion and that kindness. And and then we look at stuff like this and we go, yeah, but I mean, honestly, I'm not worried about storms. I don't really have that circumstance in my life. And so I've got a storm shelter. I'm good to go. And, And what this description here is to help us understand is that we need to be able to look at whatever circumstances we find ourselves in and then look to Jesus and then begin to ask the question, why did he call me to himself? What is Jesus Christ wanting to accomplish in me? And what is Jesus Christ wanting to accomplish through me? And in light of what he's wanting to accomplish and what he is accomplishing, do I trust him that he is going to see it through completion? Is he going to be the one who is in charge of these circumstances to the point that his will is ultimately going to be done and accomplished? And the answer is yes. That's why it's, I think, very fitting that the kind of the final statement that is made about this, and there really is no, there really is no answer. Like, Jesus doesn't give an answer to this. Matthew, in his, uh, you know, as he's writing it, doesn't give an answer to this. It just kind of leaves the question open. And the men were amazed, and they asked, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Um, they're, they're stuck in wonder and in worship because they, they realize at this particular moment Um, that their faith did not equal who Jesus Christ was. Let me say that again. Their faith did not, in fact, equal who Jesus Christ was. And that should be our goal. Our goal, um, especially as we're walking through this study, should be to know Jesus and to know about Jesus, to see these events of Jesus, and then to have our faith match what we know him to be. And so Jesus Christ is the one who is Lord over all creation. He is the one who is able to sustain all of these things. And so when we look at what Jesus is able to accomplish, we have to be able to ask and to believe and to trust. He wouldn't bring us to this point and then abandon us. He wouldn't bring us to this point and then leave us. And so our faith should match, in fact, who Jesus Christ is. And so let me ask you, In the circumstances that you are going through in your life, and I understand that they may be too much for you, or at least you feel like they're too much for you. Question, do you believe that the circumstances that you are going through right now are too much for him? Do you believe, in essence, that Jesus Christ will not, will somehow bring you to this particular point and then abandon you now. He, he brings you all the way to here, and then now, this is the way that it is going to end. Now, by the way, I am not promising. It's so important that we realize this. I am not promising that, therefore, all of the circumstances that we have are always going to work out. That's not what this text is about. But what this text says, and this text critiques for, of the disciples, is their inability to trust that Jesus Christ can handle the storm, the physical storm that is going on around them. And it is so important that they see that. And so when you are worried or when you are concerned or maybe even when you are challenged by a teaching of Jesus that you think is too much for you, look into Christ and who he is and ask, is Jesus, what kind of man is this? And, and the answer is what we've just seen, he is not a man. He's not like you and I. And, and therefore, you, you might have a number of moments in which you're going to be afraid and you're going to cry out and Jesus may even have to say to you a number of times, why are you so afraid? Oh ye, oh you, I always go King James on this one, oh you of little faith. But I pray that after each time you recognize and you see his hand and you see his care And you see his power. And then you remember, if he is the one who made heaven and earth, if he is the one who can stop a storm from raging, then surely he can handle what is going on inside my life and inside my heart. If Jesus Christ is the one who is sustaining all the things in the world, then what difficult circumstances could be happening in the news that could undo you? If Jesus Christ is the one who is able to make and sustain everything, surely he can sustain you. And now we come to the time in our service where we remember um, who Jesus Christ is and what he did. Um, I want to go off of that statement. Um, Jesus asks, or the disciples ask him, Lord, save us. Um, He then asks them about their faith. And then at the end, they say, wow, what kind of man is this when he demonstrates his power? And I really can think all three of those statements fit very well around the Lord's table this morning, that we cry out to Jesus, recognizing that maybe there's not a storm um, physically assaulting us, but hopefully you are aware of the fact that your greatest problem is the fact that you are a sinner in need of God's grace, and you cry out to Jesus and you say, save me. And then Jesus hopefully says to you, do you believe that I can accomplish this? Do you really believe that by what I did on the cross, do you really believe that I was able to accomplish this? And when we take it every Sunday, it is our declaration that we do believe that what Jesus Christ did accomplished and fulfilled our greatest need. So we take the bread, eating it, remembering what he has done for us. And we take the juice, celebrating what he, die, what he died to give us.
4: One of the characters in Scripture that I can sometimes most identify with is this unnamed man in Mark chapter 9. He's only in there for a handful of verses. He's only got like three lines in the whole story, but, but they're good lines, at least his last one. He brings Jesus, his son, because his son has been oppressed by a, an evil spirit, by a demon who is causing his son to go into these seizure-like convulsions. And so he's explaining this to Jesus and coming to him for help. And, and he says this phrase to him towards the end, if you can do anything, please help us. Have pity on us and help us. To which Jesus responds, if you can He says, all things are possible for those who believe. And then Mark says that this man immediately exclaimed when Jesus said those words, he said, I believe, help my unbelief. And I get that sometimes. Like there's sometimes faith comes easy for me and it's easy to trust God and his word and his promises and his character. And there are other times when like I believe it all and and I agree with it all and I trust it all. And yet at the same time, I kind of cry out to him, God, I believe this. I trust you. Help my unbelief. I don't know if you've ever been there, but, but, but that is oftentimes what faith is like. It's this kind of ebb and flow of sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's hard, and and faith is something we have, and faith is something we ask for more of. And so we're, we're going to do that today as a church. Uh, to ask God to increase our faith, to both confess this truth that we believe and to ask help us in our unbelief. So here's what this is going to look like. We're going to start just praying individually. Um, On the screen in just a minute is going to come a prayer that's adapted from an old book of Puritan prayers called the Valley of the Vision. And and that prayer is going to come on the screen. And I just want to give you a moment to slowly read through that prayer and pray those words to God uh, with, with, with whatever is on your heart of mind, wherever you may struggle with faith, um, to pray these prayers as a proclamation of your belief and a request for more of it. And, and I'll give you a little bit of time to do that. And then after we've done that, then I will pray and we will pray this prayer together as a group. I will pray this prayer for us as a church. So go ahead and read the prayer on the screen and then I'll pray over us. Now, let me pray this prayer on our behalf as a church. Heavenly Father, our faith is in you. Our hope is from you. Our love is focused on you. Help us to place our confidence in you, to accept your word, to submit to your will, to rely on your promises, to trust your sovereignty. Let our hope be found in the peace you provide, knowing that our present and our future rest in nail-pierced hands. You are good, wise, holy, and just, and no mistake is possible for you. We believe this, but when we struggle to believe this, help our unbelief, Lord
0: in the Father's love, destined to die, poured out for all mankind, God's own every Trembles his voice, trembles at singing how oh, great. beginning and the end, the God in three through your word, God. We thank you for sending your son. We thank you for sending him in power. We thank you for the work that he did on the cross, destroying the work of Satan forever, and for giving us a chance to live with you in all of eternity, God. We thank you for his beautiful, his wonderful, and his powerful name.